God, I hate my intros. Holy shit. I can never just be like, hey guys, what's up? I always have to start mid-sentence because that's just how I am, you know? Um, As you can tell, I have revamped the podcast, okay? I have just made it stellar. Presentation, you know? Not. I literally, when I kid you not, I looked up clip art microphone for the picture. And honestly, the name came from me wanting to put my name in the title, but not my full name. And then like add some type of something that ensued a conversation, convos, obviously. Um, And then when I made the trailer, I accidentally said live convos instead of lives convos because it was lives convos first. And then when I heard it, I was like, you know, that sounds better, like, to my ear. I don't know why. But also, I feel like Liv's Combos is, like, a tongue twister. And Liv Combos, like, in capital letters, is just easier for people to remember, easier for people to find. Um, So, yeah. Um, Welcome the hell back. As you can tell, this is just going to be, like, my conversations that I have with myself. I'm not going to delete my old episodes because I really do love and enjoy them. And I like listening back to things from four years ago. It's really fun for me. Um, No, I do not go back and listen to myself for the most part. When I go back and listen to the podcast, it's episodes that I had friends on because that's the ones that I really enjoy listening to again. And um, we're going to have some more friends on. Um, Ethan's going to make another appearance probably in the next episode. We've been talking about it today. Um, I'd love to have Jessica back on. I would really love to have Amber back on. Just all my friends, you know, really would love to have everybody on. Um, Just talk about shit, you know. Shoot the shit. I've never said that in my life. I felt like that was the appropriate time, though. Um... So, welcome back to Live Convos. (laughs) But I shouldn't say welcome back because no one has ever heard me say that, you know? Like, it's not like a welcome back. Like, but Redo is dead. Dead and gone, buried. We're done with her. She's still on here because I love those episodes and... I don't feel embarrassed by them like I did my YouTube videos because you can't see me. It's just our voices. We're just having a conversation. So I'm going to keep all those up. And hello, we're on. This is like the 92nd episode, okay? We've been dedicated over here. Like, just stellar. Um, first thing I want to talk about is literally I'm obsessed with my nails. Which sounds literally like the stupidest shit to ever say. Um, listen guys. I don't wear makeup. I don't enjoy makeup. I like a little bit of mascara. Once in a while. There was a time where I was super into mascara. And then I just quit. Like, I don't know. Because when you wear contacts, it's very, like, you really can't get shit in your eyes like that. And for me, I'm constantly touching my face, and I couldn't do that. But, um, yeah, let me just text Ethan. 
like real quick so he knows I'm not ignoring him because we were mid conversation and he's gonna be like where'd she go um so where was I going with this I'm obsessed with my nails right now I got them done yesterday and holy crap they are perfect um because I finally got gel apparently they call it gel x on at the nail salon but you know it's literally just gel extensions and they just put them on your natural nail <clears throat> and I know I said I was not gonna do press-ons again but they're not press-ons like they adhere with the gel and the uv light and shit and my real nails just kept snapping. Like, they're healthy, but they just kept snapping with the dip. And I was like, I'm done with this for now. Like, I just want to try something different. See if it stays on longer. And um, now I have, like, pieces around my nails. Like, when the, when, you know, like, next day after you get your nails done, if you get gel and shit, sometimes you have, like, excess gel on your cuticles so i'm just gonna take a tweezer real quick and take this stuff off but yeah um so basically they cut your natural nails down everybody knows this already but i want to make the point that they are not acrylic because i don't like acrylics <laughs> um they're just really big and bulky and they just like when you look at them you know you go yeah that's totally fake but mine like if you didn't know that they were extensions or gel put on top of the nail you know you wouldn't know like you wouldn't know at all so yeah I really recommend it obviously it took longer than just getting dip powder on your natural nails like they have to like find the nails that fit your nails and you know um the shape so the shape is the big thing I got almond this time I really wanted almond I saw some girl on tiktok there's this girl named Sophia I have to look up her username I adore her so much she is the prettiest freaking girl I have like ever seen in life and she's like straight up Italian New York you know and all she does is like pretty much just do her makeup and talk to the camera and like some of her videos do well and then others are just you know small and intimate to the followers and I really really enjoy her videos anyway she went to prom recently and I saw her nails and they were French almond. And listen, I tried to do the French with um with my real nails and it didn't work because sorry Ethan. Um I saw her, so she had the almond-shaped French, right? 
And they weren't, like, super long, but they were just, like, a good, you know, normal length. And she got them for prom. And I knew they were, like, fake because when she doesn't have the nails on, her real nails are, like, really, really short. So, but I tried to get almond, you know, with my natural nails. And I just didn't. My natural nails were just, like, my natural nails grow long, okay? But the problem is when they get to a certain length, they just start snapping, especially on the sides. And that just wasn't going to work. And I did get French with the dip. And I didn't like it. Like, I liked it at first. And then after, like, maybe a week or two, the pink and the white just kind of started to fade together because it wasn't painted on. I don't know if that makes sense. But, and, like, I got my nails round but they weren't, like, long enough to be almond, you know? And it just wasn't what I was picturing. So I was like, yeah, we're just going to... I was about to get dip. Like, I sat in the chair. And they kept asking me, what do you want? And I said, I think I want dip again, whatever. And then, uh... I was like, you know what, just try it, because, you know, when you leave is where, when you leave the nail salon is when you start to have, like, regrets, like, oh, I don't like this, I should have told them, or, oh, I should have chose, chose the other thing I originally wanted, you know, and then you're like, well, I'm not gonna go back for a couple weeks, pay for, you know, I'm not going to go back in and pay for more or whatever, so you have to just go with your gut. And I just really want an almond. I want a new fucking shape. Like, because I have been getting powder on my nails for years, and the only shape, I got square maybe two, three times, and then I got round, like, literally once probably at this salon and that was it but the shape that I've been getting forever is square on top with rounded corners because like I can't have sharp sharp corners even though I've had square um because I wear contacts and the only thing I had to tell her like the literally the gel like you know um tips were almond so that was great but I I looked at them and I was like you need to make the middle less sharp because I can't be like poking myself in the eye um and I don't like sharp as fuck nails anyway like shit has to be rounded you know like and these are almond but they are still you know, not sharp. Um, and she, like, flipped my hand over and she was looking at it another way and just, like, fixing, like, the middle. You know. tell Don't be fucking shy because I hate when I see videos on TikTok of girls going to the nail salon and they're like, this is what I asked for and this is what I got and they're, like, crying in their car. I see those all the time and I'm like, you're paying them for a service. Get 
what you want from the service. Don't be afraid. Like, that's their fucking job. And most of the time, if you are super, super polite, they do not care. Because they want to make you happy. I've only noticed people, like workers at, at nail salons, be upset with a customer when the customer is very rude to them. And just constantly picking apart, like, everything. Because you have to trust the process. Like, if I tell my nail girl, um, like, something, something I don't like. You know, you know how it is, girls. Like, we... We can see when something is not the right shape or it's not the color or whatever. Usually they will fix it by the end. But I'm not saying don't tell them. I'm saying tell them once. And when they say, okay, I will take care of that or yes, um, I will fix that or we will get to that or, you know, like towards the end, then let them do it. Don't keep badgering them like, oh, you said you were going to. You know, just be polite. If you're just polite to people, like, they don't care. And a good nail technician constantly is asking you, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Like, you know, and she kept asking me, is this okay? Does this look okay? Do you want to change this? Do you want to fix this? You know, that's what they should be asking. And most of them are. That's what they're trained to ask you, you know. So... I love how I just talked about nails for, like, 15 months. But anyway, I love them, and they kept telling me they're going to stay on much longer. They're going to stay on. I'm like, okay, like, I trust you, but you have to understand, like, my nails just don't want to hold shit. Um, She was doing my pointer finger, and she was like, uh, like, and I was like, yeah, that nail bed's messed up. It's not you. Like, she really had to push that shit down. But I'm obsessed with them. Um, picking out the length was really easy, too, because she was like, you just go with the small size because that's, like, the per- perfect length. She was like, if you go with the medium, we can't cut them because then it'll ruin the shape. And she showed me the small, and I was like, that looks good, but can I just see the medium real quick? And then she brought out the medium, and that shit was long as fuck, and I was like, yeah, No. Even though I used to have really long nails, but I don't enjoy that anymore. Like, I want nails, but I don't want them huge like I used to have with um, press-ons. And, um, yeah. So, and, but most of the time, like, when the nail technician tells you, like, I think this would be better for you. Because she was like, the, so the smalls are, like, perfect. And I completely trusted her. Like, you know. And I was like, yes. Like, you do what feels best. And then I remember when she did the... um, Well, for the color, she asked me a bunch. Like, what color? And I said it was the color on whatever. Like, and you know, make sure it's the right one. And as soon as she painted it, she, like, lifted my finger up. And they look at you, like, wanting you to nod your head. That is okay. Um... So, yeah, 
and I obviously got gel on top of it, which I have not had gel in years. Um, but see how it goes. They said it's going to last a while. Um, I hope so because I really love them and I'm just, my natural nails grow so fucking fast. Like they cut them down to the brim. I was like, you need to chop these fuckers off because I don't want to be back here for at least a month. Like, you know, so, but yeah, what I was saying was I don't, makeup's not my thing. I like nails. Like, I like just having my nails on. It just makes me feel complete. Like, yeah, I just like my hands to look presentable. And that's that. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I had a dream last night about my dad and I wanted to die when I woke up. I was like... <laughs> I'm not going to, like, rehash. Like, I'm not going to go into this a bunch, but long story short, we were fighting, and I called the cops on him, and he also called the cops on me. And another person was in the dream not doing anything. And there was another person in the dream. Well, my mom. My mom was in the dream not doing anything either. And um, I remember the cops came in. The cops were believing him. And I was like, oh, this is great to dream about. Because you have to understand, I don't, like, mention my D.A.D. Like, really ever. I will never bring him up in conversation. Like, the only time he's brought up is when someone else brings him up. Like, I don't go out of my way to talk about him. I put that to the back of my mind. Because, you know, my stupid self thinks if I could shove it all the way back there, I'll just forget about it. There are days where I don't think about it. Him. At all. Like, there's days where I just think, like, he's dead or something. Like, that he doesn't exist anymore. And technically, um, that's how it is. Because we have no relationship. So, that's always fun. Um, but yeah, I... Fucking love just, you know, not talking about him, you know, while I'm awake. And then my brain is like, um, there's this thing that you haven't dealt with that's been sitting for a while that needs attention. And it's like, dude, you know, I don't want to deal with that. Like, and, um, I have tried to forget that he called me, too, because I was not expecting that, and I very much just wanted to shock and kind of shut down when that happened, because I was not expecting it, obviously, um, and, um, I feel like I don't know that person anymore, you know, so I was like, why is this stranger calling me, you know, like, Maybe if it was on a different day besides Father's Day, I would have had more to think about if I really want to engage in that. 
since that was the day out of all days that he chose to take somebody else's phone and call me on Father's Day, that told me everything I needed to know, you know, like, that was like, okay, this, this is a pity party, like, it's nothing else besides that, it's not him wanting to, you know, pour his heart and soul out, um, I need to turn this air off, it's blowing on me, yeah, it was not him, like, trying to, you know, apologize or whatever. It was him just feeling sorry for himself and he's probably sitting around with a bunch of, you know, people and they're talking about things and he probably mentioned me and someone was like, I'll give you my phone, you know. And part of me wants to fucking call the number and be like, who the fuck are you and why is my dad asking to use your phone? Like, what? So, I'm just wondering whose it is. Like, I really... But the thing is, like... Say if, like, he was with them. Like, if I called the number back. Whoever's phone it was, they'd be like, oh, it's your daughter. Because they... I guess they'd probably know that that's my number, you know? (sighs) But yeah, I don't like having dreams of him. Um, they've been pretty frequent too recently. Like, they stopped for a while. Like, I was getting them for a while. And then they stopped. And then... They're back. And I want them to go away. Um, but yeah, anyway... Um, what do I want to talk about as I just talked for like 20 minutes? Well, I really wanted to talk more about The Sopranos because, um, I have about 10 episodes left and I'm not ready to like finish the journey. Like I haven't watched it the last, I think two nights because I've just been like, oh, like, I don't want to finish it, but, um, I think I wanted to go, like, character by character, and just talk about them, and how, like, brilliant, you know, like, I'm assuming if you haven't watched the show, you at least know what I'm talking about, because it's such a famous show, and I've really enjoyed listening to Talking Sopranos, because, they talk to a bunch of people from the cast and how they got casted and all that jazz, you know, and what they thought the show was when it started and then it became something way bigger, you know, and um, that's crazy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Let's start with the guy that created the show. So David Chase is brilliant. He's now on my list. Like, you guys know I'm I'm nerdy about directing movies and, and TVs and shows and shit like that. Like, I would totally be in that industry if I wasn't such a chicken. But 
And realistically, I know that in- industry is in L.A. And I would love to go back to L.A., but and I would love to live in L.A., but it's so much money, which I have none of right now. Um, <laughs> so, you know. And you really just have to, like, go on auditions and keep going on auditions, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'd be so scared like I remember doing it in theater and being scared but I don't think I was that scared as a kid like I I just can't believe the stuff I used to do when I was a kid like all like the dance shows I was involved in and theater like constantly putting myself like out there in front of people And now I'm just like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I love acting. Like, but I don't know. But anyway, um, David Chase is brilliant because he writes real, you know, you relate. And, um, Edie Falco, the actress that played uh Carmela <clears throat> my voice just like it <laughs> cropped out on me Carmela um she was like you know David is so brilliant because he wrote scenes that don't have a lot of dialogue but you know exactly what is being like said and okay if you've been listening to my podcast for a while you know that like when I talk about, like, Michael J. Fox, that was one of the main things that I talked about with him that he's so brilliant doing is using his face. Like, using his eyes. Very expressive. Um, Sets a tone, like, for the scene, um, for how they're feeling or whatever, and there's no words. That's exactly what he did. Um, So... I really, really like directors that do that shit because it's kind of a lost art. We feel like, you know, there constantly has to be dialogue for the audience to be interested. And that's just not, at least in my opinion, that is not the case. I really enjoyed the scenes where there was not a lot of talking because they are so brilliant that I knew what was being, what was going on like, in their mind, and, you know, and she said there's just a lot of scenes where, like, me and Tony are in the kitchen, like, and she said there was one scene where he comes home late, and he can't find, like, any food or whatever, or he wants her to make, you know, some type of food for him, and it's always, like, some type of pasta, because that's, like, all they eat on the show, but it was, like, leftover, and he went in the fridge and looked and then she got up, went in the fridge, took it out, put it in the microwave, took it out, brought it to him and sat down next to him. And they were just looking at each other. And he was, but that dynamic, there's no words being said, right? But you know that Tony, that you know that this is the dialogue that's going on. Tony comes home you know, expects there to be dinner, can't find it, or wants dinner, finds something he likes in the fridge, but doesn't take it out. 
he expects his wife to do it. And she already takes off that hint from him without him saying anything. Gets up because she knows she's supposed to do this for him. Because that's the dynamic. And does it for him. And when they look at each other, you know, that's, you exact, you know what's going on. Like, he didn't, he didn't have to tell her, um, could you heat up some dinner for me? Like, it's so simple, but that's, she brought up that specific scene. And I, I remember loving that scene because it was so, that showed the dynamic that Tony expected Carmela to serve him as his wife. And he expected her to always be there for him, do everything for him, no matter what he was doing outside. He could be having 25 affairs, but his wife still needs to be loyal. His wife still needs to be faithful. You know, we can't get divorced. The whole dynamic of them going to get divorced, and then they, I knew they weren't going to get divorced. I just knew it. The whole dynamic where he moves out for a bit and then comes back in. And she goes and has a little affair with this guy. And then she ends it. And, of course, Tony never finds out about that. But she knows about his 25 affairs on the side. That's the dynamic. Um, That's how the mob treated women. You know, you were not loyal to your wife. Your marriage was a status. Yeah, once in a while, you know, I'll show affection to my wife. But, you know, it's there for status and it's a symbol. And also, Italians are very, most of them are very, very religious. And divorce is a sin. And that whole dynamic when Carmela is trying to decide... Like, she wants a divorce, but in her mind, she cannot get a divorce. And you see her reach the breaking point, and then she goes, like, wanting to get a divorce. And she can't find a lawyer because of Tony's uh, reputation. No one wants to represent her because they don't want to go head-to-head with a mob boss. That's well-known everywhere. So... She can't even get rid, like, she can't rid herself of him either way. And, um, it's just, and Tony has that battle. Ooh, there was, there was an episode I watched a couple days ago where, you know, he meets a woman. He wants to go sleep with her and... She tells him, you know, she's engaged. And, um, this was after Tony got shot. So he gets shot by, you know, Uncle Junior. He gets shot by him. And he, like, almost dies. And, um, he gets a, they have to do, like, a big-ass incision, like, take out the bullet, all that crap. And now he has, like, a big-ass scar, like, on his stomach. And before he goes and meets with this girl for signing over um, on a... They were selling some building. 
and he owned the building. And he was going to go meet this girl. In his mind, he's going to go hook up with this girl, even though she told him that, you know, she's engaged. And he told Carmela that he was going to be faithful to her from now on. And he knew that she was with him the whole time he was in the hospital. And uh, there's a scene where he's getting ready and she's buttoning up his shirt. And they're just kind of looking at each other. And he was like, you were there for me the whole time. Don't think I don't appreciate, like, you know, this really sweet scene. And then he goes to this girl's house. You know, they're looking at the papers. He's, she's like, sign here, sign there. But then you got the tension going on, you know, and you know it's about to go down. <laughs> you know, and then they start kissing. She gets on top of him and she starts unbuttoning his shirt, right? But that's what took him out of that. Like, I finally, I was so happy because I saw growth. (laughs) Like, I love that he had, like, he doesn't have self-control. That's the main thing. Like, he told her so many times, oh, I'm done. I'm done with this woman. I'm done with that. I'm never going to be with another woman besides you. Goes out and moves up with another woman. Doesn't care. Because that's how he, he feels like he can do whatever the hell he wants. And... He gets, she starts to unbutton his his shirt and you see him like snap back into it and be like, he's like, stop, like, get off of me, stop. And she's like, what, 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 you know? And, uh, he was like, I gotta go. And that was the first time that he was with another woman and nothing happened. Like, it didn't lead to sex. Like, and I was like, whoa. Like, and it was a symbolism of Carmela buttoning up his shirt for him where the scar is. And this woman is unbuttoning it. And it was like, like little details like that. I fucking love shit like that. Like, and I just remember being like, David Chase, my guy, my guy. Like, that's how I would write. Like, the action of buttoning up a shirt and unbuttoning it. And some other woman unbuttoning your shirt that your wife buttoned. And for that to, like, snap him and he he, he stopped, he left. I was like, whoa. Like, Tony Soprano has a conscience? But you see that. You see that from the beginning. Um, One more thing about David and then I do want to talk about uh, Tony's character, um, David said in an interview that the theme of the Sopranos is you never know how much you love someone until they're gone. And my mind exploded because that is what I took from the show. And when I tell you nothing makes me happier from... Um, when I watch a show and I know what the creator was trying to get across. That's, like, my favorite thing. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the actors and actresses dearly. They're all fantastic. And in any show, too. But I watch the interviews with the creator of shows. Those are, like... 
my favorite thing. I want to know where did this come from? What does this mean? What does this scenario mean? What does this line mean? What's the theme? What's the, like all this kind of stuff I love. And when David said that, that's what I took as the theme. And when he said it, I was like, it's just like satisfying. It's like, yes, I understood what the creator was trying to get across. And I didn't, it wasn't like this at first because you get so, there's people that you don't like. There's characters that you do not like. But here's the thing, when they die, then you're like, oh, well, I kind of, I think I kind of liked them or I kind of miss them. But like, why do I miss them? Like, I didn't like them when they were alive. Why am I like, you know, wanting them back when they're dead? And then you catch yourself because there's so many episodes where Tony is dreaming and all the people that have died, you know, either by his hand or by one of his men's hands or by a scenario that happened that he caused them to for their death or whatever, and they come back and you see them, you're like, I really miss that character. That's the theme that David was trying to get across. Um, you don't realize how much you like love a character until they're gone. The best example I can think of, there's a couple, but Ralph. So, <laughs> Ralph was an interesting character from the start. There was times where I thought he was really funny, and then there was times where I thought he was super arrogant, which they all are. But there was a lot of times where I was like, how is this guy still alive? Like, sh just kill him. Like, I'm sick of... I'm sick of his bullshit, you know? Like, and then when he killed him, it was kind of like, huh. <laughs> then I was like, well, now everything that Ralph brought to the plot is gone. And he brought a lot to the plot. <laughs> and, um... You go from like, oh, I, you know, I want this, this person dead, this character dead, to, well, now that they're dead, I kind of want them back. Like, and that's why I would catch myself, like, because Ralph showed up in a couple dreams, and uh, I was like, I miss Ralph. All these other people that died, too. Um, we'll get into that, but that's just an example. And... There's nothing that I love more than getting what a director was trying to portray. Creator, whatever. David Chase is the creator. Um, and he writes so beautifully and well. And it flows. And it's... I think it's stood the test of time because it's so... Like, most of us are not in the mob, okay? That part's not relatable. But the relatable part is, you know, for me, the relatable part is 
my family, they're Italian on one side. Um, I mean, I'm born and raised New York. Um, they mentioned towns that like my mom worked in when I was growing up and like you don't no one knows those towns unless you're from that area and that is always very interesting for me to hear like little towns that I don't think anything about like you know they're like oh close to home like there's a whole episode where they go up to the Hudson Valley because they have to move some dead bodies that were buried up there and that's where I'm from. Like, there's a scene where they're going over, like, the Newburgh Beacon Bridge. Like, that's literally... I went up, I went over that bridge a million times. Like, I mean, that... The whole location aspect is very... Um, feels homey for me, personally. But if, if someone's not from New York, everybody can relate to their family being dysfunctional and arguing and resolving problems and... They're very, very simple, normal. To its core, it's a family. And you're going through all the problems that happen in family and how family work together to resolve these problems. And that is always so great to see. Like, you can relate. Everybody can relate. But... That's why I think it's to the test of time. And it's just really good. Like, and you know it's good because this is a whole whole generation now that is obsessed with it. It was obsessed with it during COVID. My generation that loves it. It's actually gone like three generations. Because my parents watched it and then there's like a gap in between. Because I was born... A while after that. I wasn't born to 2002. And. Um, it's like three generations. That really really love it. And you know the writing is good. Then. Um, I've never seen a show written the way it is. And it's funny. It's really really funny. Like. And the humor is very. Um, it's written a certain way. But it's so good. Like. It just has so much going for it. But, I mean, I've talked about Tony before, but obviously we have to start with Tony because he's the whole fucking show. Um, he is layered. We've talked about this. But when I, for me personally, when I see Tony Soprano, I see my father um, to a T. I'm telling you, down to their habits and what they eat and how they eat, um, how they talk to people. And I'm like, this is funny because my dad was watching this show before he was a father and he became Tony Soprano. <laughs> like, so you're like, Olivia, what do you mean by that? Well, for starters, my dad is extremely. He's Italian. He has a very thick um, New York accent. And I know Tony has a Jersey accent. But um, very similar. My dad was um, born in Yonkers. He moved around a lot. Um, 
but born and raised in New York. Um, and he's a, he has a, like an accent, a very thick accent. Like, I don't really hear it much, but when we go places, if people would just hear my dad speak and they'd be like, oh, what part of New York are you from? Because the way he says certain words, um, and the way he doesn't say certain letters, like, um, when they say, um, a lot of times New Yorkers drop the H, which is like to shorten words. So a, a lot of times on The Sopranos, when they say, when the word is humor, okay? But they say, actually, is that the word I was trying to use? Humor. So they pronounce it with um, like a Y, like an I, like it's weird, but you, that's how my dad says it. He, they also say like human, they say human, like with, like you're putting a Y and you're dropping the the H. Um, that's how my dad speaks. Um, and he, he, um, so yeah, that's bottom line. Um, so they have the same like background and shit. Um, well, personality-wise, it's almost to the T. So, very, very stubborn. Very controlling. Very, um, like, hard-headed, narcissistic, always about the ego. Um, can be nice when he wants to be nice but has to really put in work to be nice, you know what I'm talking about? And um, can flip on a dime. Like, can flip like that. If you say one thing, if you look at them wrong, like, you know, flipping a table. Um, The scenes with Dr. Murphy are are fantastic um, because you see him trying to control his temper and you see the, the million times that he can't control it. That whole dynamic. That's my dad. Um, (laughs) The eating habits are funny. Um, My dad always used to eat a bowl of ice cream. Like, well, honestly, he ate it everywhere, but he'd eat it on the couch, too. Um, Tony's thing that he does by himself is... And this is literally what... I forgot about this. My dad used to watch the old history channel when they would show like the war movies and sit and eat a bowl of ice cream. And that's what Tony does when he comes home and he's by himself and he takes his like alone time. He's eating that bowl of ice cream and he's watching war movies. That was my dad. My dad literally did the same shit. I'm not kidding. I don't know if this is like a standard, this is what people from New York who are Italian old men do in their free time, but this is to a T. Another thing that drove me literally insane, not insane, but I was like, oh my God, I'm seeing my father. Um, There's one scene where um, Tony comes in, he's like, where's the crumb cake? Like he can't find it. And... um, I think Carmela pulls it out of a drawer or something, which my mom always used to do. My dad couldn't find shit. And uh, gives it to him. And he's 
opening up the box and they show the box and it's fucking Edmonds. It's Edmonds crumb cake. And that's what my dad used to eat. It comes in a white, white and blue box. And that's, that was like his favorite thing. Like I had it once in a while, but a lot of times like that was his fucking crumb cake. You know, you don't like, and it's the white, white and blue box. And it, it comes in a paper box and you could see like the, the outline because it had like a plastic cover so you could see into the box and that's the same what he was eating and I was like are you serious right now like this is so this is hilarious um they're the same personality um also the way like he argues with metal a lot but there are times where you can see he is very, very, you know, in love with his daughter, protective of his daughter, um, giving her advice, speaking like kind of slowly and sweetly in a way to her that he doesn't speak that way to anybody else, you know? Um, there's a whole scene that I watched recently where Meadow starts crying because she's having rela- uh, relationship problems with her boyfriend. And Tony, like, drops his, you know, his curtain, if you will. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a term. But he he drops the tough guy act. And he drops what he's doing. And he walks over and comforts her. And then, you know, he says something wrong, right, that she didn't want to hear. And then she gets pissed off and she starts walking away. And then he's like, oh, why don't you talk to your mother about this shit, you know? Like, but literally he went from... You know, he's doing his own thing. Being Mr. Tough Guy, he sees his daughter crying. Then it all disappears. You see it disappear. And then it reappears. Like, in the in like a span of like two, three minutes in the same scene. And that is literally how my dad was. When he was nice, he was nice, you know? And that's how he spoke to me. He was very, very slow. And kind of like mellow and like very, very protective, constantly like watching, um, like, you know, and that's how he was. Um, and he's like that with Meadow. Um, I love their scenes together because they show just the dynamic, you know. And then one of my favorite scenes is where. She calls him Mr. Mob Boss. And she said that was one of her favorite scenes um, to shoot. She said on the podcast, Jamie. Um, And he's like, what'd you call me? But that was one of my favorites because she was defying him. And when I I used to do that to my dad, he would get mad just the same. And it was the same fucking scenario. And, uh, that's a favorite. Cause, uh, like, she says before she calls him that, she's like, Dad, you know what I don't get? Like, you were in favor of me going, like, before. And then when Mom said I couldn't go, you know, then you'd be like, oh, well, then she can't go. My dad was like that. (sighs) Um... 
wanted me to have everything, you know. But there were points where, you know, you cross a line. But, and, you know, a lot of times he would just say yes to everything. Like, because he wanted me to have what he didn't have. Um, but, you know, then if my mom was like, no, then it wasn't happening. But it's funny with parents like that. Sometimes it's like, it really depends on the day. Like, sometimes my mom would be like, go ask your father. And then sometimes he'd be like, well, go ask your mother. Like, a lot of times they weren't really deciding together. It was like, <laughs> just who wanted to handle the situation that day? Um, and uh, that's an interesting relationship. Watching your parents trying to, like, well, in the beginning. <laughs> kind of faded out towards the end. But in a good marriage, parents are a team. And, like, when your child asks to do something, like, you're supposed to talk about it together and, and come to an agreement, you know? It's never good to, like, oh, go ask this person, go ask that person. But, um, down to the outfits, like, his freaking, like, boxers, like, my dad wore those. I mean, everybody does, but, you know, slippers, my dad had the same fuck. they were not, like, nice leather slippers, like Tony Soprano. But they were brown, um, and he'd wear those. Um, and his clothes, they'd just be, like, all over the, the like, the bedroom or the hallway, like, and same with Tony. Um, they had the same personality. And, um, I mean, what more can I say, um, about the character, like, James Gandolfini is, I don't want to say was, it makes me sad because he was just so, I don't like, I don't even have the words to describe James Gandolfini. I've never seen anybody perform the way he performs. It's like... He's, like, five different emotions. Like, in one scene. And you never know, like, if he's gonna be nice... If he's gonna play nice with somebody... Or if he's gonna grab them by the throat and push them against the wall. Constantly on eggshells. Like... That's my dad as well. <laughs> but that's the personality. It's like... You're either very, very nice or you're very, very mean. And there is no in-between. And there's just times where he gets so angry. Like, and there's other times where he's very, very mellow. Like, there's nothing else. Like, but, and I have heard, I've, I need to listen to, like, his whole interview that he did in 60, 60 Minutes. But the thing was, and I've heard this too a lot, people say he never really knew how good he was. And he was like Brando good. Like he was, I can't even, like, I don't have the words. 
Um, people said, like, you know, if other people were supposed to get his parts or something like that, he had told them, like, you know, you would have been better. Like, he didn't even believe in him. Like, he didn't think he was doing shit. Like, and him and Edie Falco, like, after the first season, and it did so well, she said that Jim said to her, like, oh, well, I guess we have to come back and do what we did the first season, and I don't even know what we did. Like, they didn't understand how good they were. Like, he never understood how good he was. Um, he never wanted to do, uh, talk shows. Found this out. He never wanted to be, he never wanted to do it. He was like, I'm not interesting. You know, and he did 60 Minutes. And, um, it's so interesting to hear him talk in his, uh, normal voice. And, oh, there's a couple episodes where he talks in his normal voice for a long time. And it was odd at first, but then I really enjoyed it. Because I felt like I was watching... Like, Tony Soprano was laying in the hospital bed, but Jim Gandolfini was his subconscious and the dreams. I'll talk about that in a second, but um, hearing him speak on the interviews with his normal voice, and he's very, very polite, calm, humble, um, saying that he is, like, very much not Tony Soprano, and... um, he had to really turn that on when he was going to be him because that's not him. Um, and he had to somehow find that anger somewhere, like, because that's just not his personality. Everyone said he was kind of like a hippie, like, and um, so different from from Tony. Those are the best actors, like, and honestly, though, acting, like, you never want to play yourself. You always want to play somebody else. You always want to explore another personality and get to do that on screen and figure the character out as you go. And that was Jim. And he... Oh, my God. Like, if you guys have watched The Sopranos, you know how, how fucking fantastic James Gandolfini is. I mean, I don't have to, like... I'm not trying to convince anybody. He simply is brilliant and was brilliant and had a lot more to give, really, truly. I I really feel like he, you know, even when he won the Emmy, he goes up and he's, like, thanking everybody and he's, like, and to my wife, because without you I'd be a fool. Like, he doesn't understand how fucking talented he was. Like... And he started out in, like, plays and stuff. And um, Michael Imperioli uh, went and, you know, saw him in the play first and kind of knew who he was. But I've never seen anything like him. Like, and usually, I, like I said before, I can figure out a lot of shit in a show. And I do not do that on purpose. I don't like to figure shit out. I want to be surprised. But with Tony, you can't figure anything out. You are constantly like, like, what is he going to do here? You can't figure it out. You cannot read him. It's like impossible. And um, he's got that fucking stare. Like, you know when he's mad at somebody and he gives them like the side eye or like, it's not even the side eye. It's like he's looking up kind of. He looks up in this way that is just so, like, it shows you how cold he is. Like, he had, like, 
he has a soul. It's in there. You see that in the therapy scenes, but in his his mind, his mind is wrestling with his heart the whole show. Like he's trying to do what he knows he has to do, but also, you know, what is his heart saying today? You can see in those therapy, you know, sessions too that um, he is really trying to work through his problems. But you see, he wants immediate change. No patience. My father as well. And um, he wants the problems to be fixed and he wants them fixed now. And he wants a therapist to tell him what's wrong. And most of the time she can't. Or she has to ask him certain questions to get to the root. And he gets pissed off. Because he doesn't want to hear, you know, what led to this. He just wants to know how he can fix it. He wants to put a cap on it. You know, he's, that's his personality. Um, I also heard he was incredibly nice on set. And would always ask, you know, after they called cut to the other actor or whatever, whoever he was with in the scene, like, are you happy with that? Do you feel good about that? Do you want to reshoot it? Or if he felt like they needed another take, he'd be like, ah, you know, they need another take. Because a lot of people were scared to, like, ask for that. And he was, like, on top of that shit. Like, if he felt like you needed another take, he was going to tell them, you need another take. Like, and, um, that scene, one of my favorite episodes, I think when I really, really was like, oh, this show, like, there's something here. Like, and I understand. Before the ARC episode, um, I believe it's episode five, something like that, where, uh, Meadow is touring the colleges, and he's driving her around, and... Uh, she asks him if he's in the mafia, you know, that whole famous scene that they have. And, um, she said when they were done, Jim asked her, like, are you happy with that? Or do you want to do it again? Do you feel like you could do it better? Like, and not like forcing her to do that. Like she said very like nicely and like, like just asking like as a friend, like, are you happy with that? Or do you want to do, do another take? You know? And... She was like, I was 16, I had no idea I could ask her that, and he just made me incredibly comfortable. And she said there's, there was one scene that they did in the restaurant, another one of my favorite scenes, where he, he takes her out to dinner. And she said she was just kind of struggling with it, um, like talking to him she was kind of just like nervous you know because it was still like the first season she was 16 she was working with all these incredible people she had never like done like a tv show she's a straight-up theater kid jamie and um she like was nervous and jim just looked at her and was like just talk to me talk to me like we're having a conversation just talk to me normally just look into my eyes and talk to me and then she was like, she was like, oh, I feel much more comfortable now. Like, we're just having a conversation. Like, he was very, very caring towards everybody. And, um, 
you're you're captivated by his performance. It's nothing like I've ever seen ever. Um, and that's why it holds up. He's so just incredibly good. Um, the actress that played Dr. Milfi, um, Lorraine, I forget her last name. She said that Jim would want to do his big monologues like in one take and it would go on for like five minutes straight and she said a couple times she caught herself like not realizing she's in a scene like she was just captivated by him like and then she'd be like oh it's my line like oh well, how does that make you feel like like you know as he's going on with the monologue and um Yeah, it's just, those monologues are just, and I really, I was wondering, I was really wondering if they did those monologues in one take, because I look at, like, framing a lot, like, I'm nerdy, like, I want to know, you know, and when I was watching, I was like, I'm not seeing a cut here, did Jim do this in one take, like, the whole, that's what I'm thinking, and he did, he really did, and when I tell you those monologues go on for five, ten minutes, him sitting in the chair with her, like, blown away. And I also heard her say that Jim did struggle with his lines, and I was wondering, because how the fuck, you know, does somebody remember all that? I mean, it's different, I guess, when, you know, you um, don't have, like, monologue like that, but that monologue, man, was just crazy like I couldn't believe that he did that in the one take obviously I understand why because like that's a lot to like remember you know so it's crazy um, I gotta answer another text real quick. Um, sorry, guys. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> fantastic guy. Just incredible. The, um, where I was talking about where you see Jim is where, and I, now that I understand what it was, and I did, um, I did, I did understand it when it was going on, but there were certain parts that I didn't get, and, um, so when he is in the coma, 
because he got shot, he keeps having this dream play out in his mind of basically he goes, he's at like a work conference and he's got on, you know, like the suit and the tie and the briefcase And um, he gets stuck there because people think he's somebody else. And he kept saying, I'm not him, I'm not him. And he gets stuck there and his wife keeps calling him, but it's not Carmela, it's some other woman who keeps calling him. And he's like, oh, they won't let, he couldn't leave or something because they thought he was somebody else. And then he goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, you have early stages of dementia And then he realizes, like, oh, can I just not remember if that's me? And he's, you know, very, very polite. Very, very, like, speaking in his normal voice. It was Jim. That was totally Jim. The whole thing. And the whole time while he's in, like, the hotel room, he keeps looking out. And something is, like, in the sky. Like, uh, it kind of looked like, I don't know. Like, flashes of light, kind of. Like, burning. And I guess that was, like, supposed to be hell or something. And, um... He kept looking at it. And then he finally gets out of the hotel. And they're like, you gotta go to this other... This house somewhere. So it's, like, in the middle of nowhere, he goes to this house. And at the door is... Um, Tony Botello, I forget how you say his last name. Um, his cousin that he killed, you know, a couple episodes back. And, um, you know, he's dressed in a suit. And he's like, you know, you can go in there. They're, they're all waiting for you. And, um, you hear, you hear, like, noises and people talking in the house. But you don't really see the people. You just kind of see, like, shadows and stuff. And he's like, but you gotta let, you gotta let go of your briefcase. You have to give me your briefcase before you go in there. And he's like, well, I don't want to let go of it. And they're kind of wrestling over it. And while that's going on, you know, he's about to go, he's about to go in the house. And he keeps hearing... A little girl saying, Daddy, Daddy, don't go, don't leave me, in the trees. He kept looking in the trees, and he's hearing it from the woods. And he wouldn't go in the house. And the house was heaven. It was filled with all the people that he killed. Um, And... The girl calling was, like, Meadow, like, in the hospital saying, like, don't leave, don't leave, because he was about to die. And, uh, that was written so well. Like, it took me a second to figure out what was going on, because I obviously I knew it was a dream. But I'm like, what's, what's going on here, you know? And then when he woke up from the coma... He said to Carmela, who am I and where am I going? And then when he gets out of the coma, he, like, has 
a new perspective on life or whatever. But all those scenes of him were Jim. Like... Sorry, let me answer this text. That whole thing was Jim. Like... And that was interesting to see. And it took me a second because I was like, am I hearing this shit right? Or is he speaking in his regular voice? And he was. And I was like, whoa. Like, and he was looking at his life, like what his life probably would have been if he was not in the mafia. Simple business guy, suit and tie, briefcase, going to a conference, you know, married. Um, it's just simple. And that's what his life would have been. And that's what his brain was, you know, playing out. And that was, it's all written extreme. I've never seen anything written like that. Like, I think those, the dream episodes are some of the best well-written pieces I I have ever seen. Like, I'm talking in TV history. I've never seen anything like this. And this show, like hasn't been on in like 15 years and it still holds up fantastic um and yeah it's very interesting to see the dynamic between tony and all the other older guys um which i will talk about their characters as well but and they all respect him Everybody has a certain level of respect. Those who give respect, get respect. That's what he says. And it, I've just never seen anything written like those guys. I'm telling you, man, it's fantastic. And I'm sure you all already know this, but For my generation, I know we were very, very young and not alive for most of the time it was on TV. But if you have not seen it, check it out. It's just fantastic. Like, um, obviously, the next person I want to talk about is Christopher, Michael Imperioli's character. Um... I don't think I'll have time to say everything I want to say. Not that I, like, have a time limit, but... (sighs) Okay, um... Christopher's the most... Well, he's, like, the young. He is... You know, working his way up from a soldier... To a captain. The first couple seasons... And, um, I think the most incredible thing is the way you see him change. Um, I watched a couple of videos last night of him from, like, the earlier seasons. And I remember being like, wow, he was really defiant. Super defiant. Like, would say the craziest shit to Tony and... Now he won't say, like, shit because he got initiated, you know. And that was interesting. 
like that whole dynamic. Um, what else? I need some water real quick. Hold on. water now um he I feel like goes through the most trauma change you see him struggle with addiction um you see him you know beating Adriana um you see him just losing his temper over the slightest things, but they all do. Um, killing people. You know, doing things he didn't want to do. Um, that whole episode where I think I did talk about this in the last episode, but where he chooses Tony, and then I talked about the symbolism with the crow. But his whole dynamic is it's very father and son like Tony will tell him what's what and they will get in fights but Tony views him as a son as well he I feel like he is the most protective of Christopher and kind of like it like hid him away from everything before he was made you know and once he was made there were certain standards and you see him struggling with that like kind of doubting if he made the right choice and knowing like once he made the choice that's what you have to stick to and um that was interesting to see. But his relationship with Tony is nothing like the other characters, which I really like. Um, it's just different. Um, like, I found out this the other day. Chris is, Chris is not his nephew. He calls him his nephew. And he calls him uncle. But they're actually cousins. But that nephew-uncle relationship is how, like, they viewed their relationship. So that's why they called each other that. And that was interesting. But also, you know, how the kids all call them uncle and they're not related to any of them. And, you know, because they're in dad's other family. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, Chris's character is just extraordinary. Um, he battles with a lot of shit. You know, he goes to rehab and... Whole thing with Adriana and... One of the best episodes... Well, I talked about long-term parking, but... That's the episode that you really get to see how well Tony is a sociopath and can lie very, very well. 
Like, I was completely fooled. I really thought that Christopher, spoiler warning, um, had killed himself and he didn't. It was just a ploy to get Adriana out into the woods so that Silvio could shoot her. And, um, but it was so fucking convincing. Um, and I heard that Drea did not, I don't remember if I said this already on here, but Drea went to the writers and was like, I don't want the audience to know, like, they're going to know that I have to die, but I don't want them to know how, like, and when, you know? And she went to the writers and was like, I don't want that scene put in there of them in the basement. Because there was a scene that I watched pretty recently, like two nights ago, where um, they cut to a flashback. They have Tony and Chris have their big outing together. It was one of the funniest episodes. And, you know, they're saying they love each other. And, and he's like, you know, like with Adriana. And they cut to the flashback of them in the basement. And Chris has to tell him. You know, she's been working with the feds, and he's crying because he's like, I, he knew she had to die, but she did, he didn't want to kill her. So that's why Silvio did it, but that's how they made up the plan. And Drea, the, the girl that played Adriana, wanted them to change it. They wanted some suspense. So they ended up getting rid of that scene and making up a new plot line of, you know, Tony saying that Christopher tried to kill himself. When in reality, it was just a ploy. And, um... So that was interesting to see. And that's why I was so shocked. Because it was written so incredibly well. And, um... Yeah, that whole scene in the basement. Obviously an incredible scene. And, um... There's a part where, and I didn't understand this, and I don't know if I talked about this on here already. I feel like I have, but I don't want to repeat myself. There's a scene where Christopher's at a gas station when, you know, Tony had to go call Adriana and lie to her. Chris goes, he's like, yeah, I'm going out. What he really did was go to Tony's house and tell Tony, but you don't see that till later on because they got, they didn't include that scene until later. But he goes to the gas station and he is looking at a family. It's a father with, I think it was like two kids. Might have been a wife. I don't think there was a wife. I think it was a father and two kids. And it was very simple. Like they were coming out of the gas station like store with some food or something and getting in the car. And you know, the father's like watching the kids and he's just staring at them. And when I was watching the scene, I'm like, this means something and I, I can't figure out what it is. Like, I had a couple ideas, but I was like, I'm not sure what this is. And then I listened to 
Drea's podcast that Michael was on, and Michael said, yeah, like, that's that scene at the gas station, and I was like, he's gonna talk about it, I need answers, because I was like, what does this mean? Like, it was him looking at the family, the father, the kids, seeing what he did not want to be, what he did not... So he said when Christopher's looking at the family, he's seeing what his life would have been without the mob and that he does not want that life. So he has to keep his place in the mob and get rid of Adriana because she's working with the feds. And that's what that scene meant. And I had no fucking idea when I I kid you not. I did not like I was like, this means something. And I, what I actually thought it was the opposite. I thought he was seeing what he didn't have, you know, and what he wanted. Like I, because he did want children. And uh, now he got some other girl fucking pregnant <laughs> recently, you know. And it sucks because I know they're gonna kill him off in the next couple episodes. And he's having a baby, and he got married, and and uh, he bought a house. You know, he's doing the whole thing now, right? And it sucks. But anyway, um, I thought he was seeing what he didn't have and what he wanted, you know. And when Michael explained the scene, I was like, oh, that's what it was. <laughs> he was seeing what um, he was seeing what he didn't want his life to be. That snapped him back in. Like, that made him realize... Well, we have to kill... We have to kill my girlfriend. Like... Because... They were going to leave. One of the last scenes you see is Adriana packing a bag. And... She was like, you know, don't leave me. Like, where are you going? And he's like, I'll be right back. I gotta go wherever. He said, I don't know if he's at the gas station or something. And I think he was... Okay, I got it now. All the pieces just fell into place. I love how I'm, like, figuring this out as I'm talking. But they were going to leave to go, you know, go live by themselves, have kids, if she could have kids. Because um, she had an abortion, so she couldn't have kids or something. And uh, they were going to go have that life, Right? They were going to leave. And I think up until that time, he, he was going to go with her. Like, he actually was going to go with her. And he went to the gas station, got whatever he needed. And then when he sees it in front of him, he sees what he doesn't want his life to be. He realizes, I don't want to go. I don't want to be some average Joe guy with a family living upstate somewhere far away, you know, with a wife and kids. And I don't want that average Joe job. I don't want to be some other average guy. And that's when he decides that he has to go tell Tony, which you don't see for a while, but, and that's how she ends up getting killed. It makes so much fucking sense. Like, it's written so fucking well, it's like a fucking puzzle. I love figuring this shit out, but he saw what he 
was gonna go be and he didn't like it and he didn't want that and he just and I love how just the acts the action of seeing a family made him be like no that's not why I I joined in with Tony in the first place you know I want to be a wise guy I want to be a tough guy I wanted to be you know boss one day I wanted to like and he realized he was throwing all that away and that that was going to be his life if he left with Adriana so brilliant um obviously I'm trying to think of other favorite parts with Christopher obviously the arc episode um there is one episode called Christopher I'm trying to remember what happens in that one they all kind of blend together you know but um There's one that I thought was very interesting. Um, it might have been the Christopher episode. or, But he, like, goes and cheats on Adriana with some movie writer or something or other, some girl. She plays him, you know, just using him. And, um... But, yeah, you see him trying to, to do writing and shit like that. And, uh, that was a very interesting episode, because he went and cheated and was exploring other avenues. Like, he was, like, the only one that, like, was trying to figure out, like, is this what I want to do, or is there something else? Is there something more? Like, do I really want to devote my life to this man? Um... There was a whole scene where he has to go, you know, upstate to the Hudson Valley to dig up some dead bodies like I talked about before. And Tony meets him up there. And him and the other Tony are sitting there making fun of him. Telling him, uh, you know, he needs a drink. And, uh... He needs to relax, and he's like, why would you say that? I'm, like, an alcoholic, out of rehab, you know. And he's like, I gotta go, you know? Like, you see him, like, kind of fuming. Like, he wanted to say some shit, but he knows he can't say anything to Tony. So when he... One of the most powerful scenes is he is driving back in the car, and he starts crying. I was, like, in tears. I was like, Wow. Yeah, the scenes where, like, the mobsters are crying or, like, you don't see that shit a lot. There's a couple with Tony. And, uh, that one with Chris. Like, that was one of the first scenes I think he cried in. And I was just like, whoa. Like, I was... It was, like, suffer in silence. Like, that was the vibe. He couldn't say anything there in the moment. But he was thinking about it, he was driving home, and he was just crying. And I was like, oh my god, I feel so bad. And then when he went back to Adriana, and, like, he's just like, fuck this piece of shit, I'm done. Fuck family, fuck loyalty, like, all this stuff. And he's like, I gave that, um... I gave that guy pieces of my soul, Adriana, and you know what he said to me? 
He said I should have a fucking drink. Like, and she's like, oh my god, he said that. Like, why would he say that? Like, and then one of, of course, the, one of the most powerful lines ever is when he's sitting on the couch with her after he chokes her out, you know. <laughs> um, and, um, like, we're, when they decide, oh, we're gonna leave and start a family somewhere else, you know, before everything goes to shit. But, um, and he's like, that's the guy, Adriana, my Uncle Tony, the guy I'm going to hell for. I get chills every single time I say that line or hear it online. I live goosebumps. Like, that's what it is. He, he going. He's basically giving up his life for Tony. Anything he says he needs, he has to do. Like, and he's going to hell for him. And of course, one of them. The most powerful scenes, too, with Christopher is when he gets shot early on. And uh, he is with Carmela. And Carmela's like, well, what did he say to you? And he's like, who? She's like, Jesus. And he's like, I didn't see Jesus. And she's like, Tony said, um, you saw your father with Jesus or whatever she says, you know. And, um, that he said it wasn't your time yet. And you were in heaven or whatever. And he was like, I was in hell, Carmela. And they said that when it was my time, I'd, I'd go there too. Like, and she was just like staring at him. Like, didn't even know what to say. Like, that was, that was powerful. That was, like, one of the best scenes. Because they didn't have too many scenes, him and Carmela. But that one. Like, oh my god. It literally makes me, like, tear up. Like, I was tearing up saying that. Like, the way he said it and he looked at her and he was just like, I was in hell, Carmela. Like, and they said, like, I'd end up there, too, when it's my time. Or that's where I'm going, when it's my time. Like, and it's all for Tony. Because you don't even have to, you don't even have to hear her say it, but the look that she gave him back was, he saw that because of my husband. That's my husband's fault, you know? That's what you get from that. That's what I took anyway. And, um... She can't even say anything because she just feels guilty. At that point, she just feels like she's an accessory because she damn well knows. I mean, we'll talk about Carmela like next episode, but she damn well knows the shit that's going on. And she just acts like she doesn't know because she loves the lifestyle. But at that point, you could just see her just kind of shut down and like didn't know what to say to him. And because she knew it was her husband's fault. And she knew that she was just going along with it. You know? Fascinating. Just. So crazy. So good. Like. 
Oh, I could go on and on and on, obviously. But I will talk to you guys in my next episode. Um, yeah, I really enjoy this. Um, sorry, if you've never seen The Sopranos, I'm sorry to make a bunch of episodes about it. But I feel like if you haven't seen it, you've at least heard of it. And I feel like I can make a pretty good argument on, you know, reasons why you should watch it. And I'm a character nerd, I'm a TV nerd, I'm a film nerd, I, I love all of it. And characters are so fascinating to me, like just in general, because, you know, you're playing something that isn't real, that was written, and you kind of just have to work out the, the rest. It's up to the actor or actress, you know? And it's just pretend. Like, when you think of acting, it's literally not real. But it's... Um, it's so good. And um, I will end with this because this stuck in my head since last night. Um, again, I was listening to Talking Sopranos, and the guy that played, uh, Richie Aprio, um, was on, and he said, you know, he was with Jim, and they were about to shoot a scene, and they were walking out, you know, I think he said by a plaza or something, like, they were outside somewhere, and, um, he said to Jim, he said, do you ever feel like, silly, like, doing this, like, we're just playing pretend, like, do you ever feel like this is just, like, funny, like, silly, you know, and he said Jim kind of looked at him and was, like, all the time, I always do, like, I always feel silly, just acting, like, but I was, like, wow, like, you just, you th you watch it and you think of, like, Tony Soprano as a god. You know, he's bold and determined and just, like, strong leader, alpha male, you know? But the guy that's playing him feels silly doing it. Like, I just thought that was fascinating. Like... To me, once I heard that, I was like, I really understood who Jim was. He was just a nice guy who didn't really want to grow up. And he wanted to play pretend for a living. And he felt silly doing it. Like, isn't that just fat? I don't know. I just found that really fascinating. And this guy, like, that was his, like, you know, big thing that he, that I took away from that interview, um, and that really stayed in my mind, and he said, I always feel silly, like, I just found that interesting, like, I, I don't even have words, I was just like, whoa, I don't know, like, I wasn't expecting that answer, I think because I was not expecting that answer from him, you know, I wanted, I was expecting him to be like, no, this is work. Or this is an art form. Or, you know, this, 
this is so important what we're doing here or you know this is my job or no I'm a serious actor and he just was like yeah I always feel silly you know and that's why James Gandolfini will be remembered for ever forever I think a hundred years from now they still will be watching this show and he will be immortalized as Tony like forever I truly believe that um, I, I feel like it will hold up for a very long time and people will still be interested in it and the next generations will really really love it and he should be remembered as just a guy that was just funny as hell, the nicest guy, so caring, so humble, never truly knew how good he was. Um, just brilliant at his craft. Um, and just really fucking loved it because he was playing pretend. And like... I just thought that was in I just thought that was fascinating like because he's just he's such a god like that character is just like you know every you he walks in the room and everybody literally when he walks in the room I'm not saying this as like figurative when he walks in the room to all the guys in the family they all stand up they literally all stand up and greet him and hug him like he's the king coming in to the castle like, that's literally what it is. And for him to just be like, yeah, I feel silly all the time. Like, that was something. That was something else, and that was something special. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. Just hit a chord with me. I don't know. I just wanted to share it because I thought about it. And, um,. I just thought that was brilliant, and, and I I would have loved to meet him. I mean, I know they all feel so lucky to have worked with him and known him and called him a friend, and uh, they all miss him dearly. You know, he should be here, and uh, yeah, it's just, it makes me sad because people like that have just so much, so much more, you know, and he overall he was just a great husband he, you know in real life and loved his children and just a simple guy like he was just simple and that's what made him so extraordinary sometimes the most amazing and special people are just they're just like you and I he was just a family man you know and just friendly and wanted the best for everybody and like cared about every single person he worked with which is rare these days you know, it's rough. A lot of people in Hollywood are just on it for themselves, on it for the money. I think he did it because he loved it and he really grew to love the story and the magic they were creating and the character he was portraying. And I think he really loved Tony and held him dear, you know, and he was like another part of him. It's just... Those are my favorite type of people and actors and just humans in general. Like, like one of the most talented people on the planet 
And the best part is he didn't even know it. Like. And I hope. I hope he's looking down. I really, I really hope he's looking down and looking, you know, at the new generation. Watching him. And smiling. And being like that's that's all I was trying to do you know give you give you a, a good story we all love good stories and yeah I, I feel like I really hope he's looking down and realizes that I hope he realizes the impact now because I truly believe he's looking down and watching and being like wow I really did something I really moved people I really touched people on this planet and I you know really made a difference in the industry and I I immortalized the character like I really really believe he's watching and and being like finally the thing that gives me peace is finally he can look down and see it in a bigger scale he can finally know the enormity of what he did here that's I think the silver lining in him unfortunately you know, passing way, way, way too young, he can look down and be like, now I understand. And what a gift and how lucky, you know. And, um, yeah. I appreciate you guys so much for being here. Um, obviously, James was in a shit ton of other movies. Um, I'd recommend watching anything the man has graced himself in. Like, he's so good. Anything he was in, I'm sure he was fantastic. And um, he deserves every fucking award on the planet. And um, I I really hope his family is doing well. And I really hope they're, you know, keeping him alive. And, uh, yeah. But, um, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for being here.